Welcome to Fick Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence Fick Research Team. Welcome to the FIC Focus Podcast, Macro Matters Edition. I'm Ira Jersey, the Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. With me today, we go across the pond to London, where Audrey Child Friedman is here talking about the G10FX markets. Audrey, thanks for coming back on the FIC Focus Podcast. Good morning, Ira. Thanks for inviting me. Always good to be talking about one of the C's in FICC here. So let, let's just get right down to it, Audrey, and let's talk a little bit about your methodology. And w- when you're analyzing uh, FX markets, what's kind of the primary two or three things and, and where do you start with your analysis when it comes to, say, the dollar versus the euro or euro versus sterling? Like, let, Let's talk a little bit about um, you know, how you analyze those crosses to start. So, the, the, I mean, for me, the starting point uh, is to try uh, and identify what is the driver in the currency markets, because FX is one of those asset classes where the drivers change all the time. So, uh, you know, at, at the moment in time, you you look at risk at the risk environment. Next time, you look at y- the yield context, expected yields. Uh, some other times you look at more long-term structural forces such as the fiscal position, the external position. And I think, you know, the art of calling, calling uh, the outlook for the currencies is being able to identify what matters when. So let's then get into what's mattering now and, and let's start with your call for the dollar. So the dollar's had a pretty good uh, been on a pretty good run here um, since uh, since May, uh, you know, through the summer. Um, you know, part of that maybe is that interest rate environment. Part of that might be from something else. So so how do you view the dollar firstly, um, you know, on a relative value basis? So how much more could this rally go? Number one. And number two, you know, what, what do you think any of those drivers are starting to change and uh, f- from uh, what was driving this uh, this rally over the last couple of months? So I think right now, whatever way you look at it, the, the way I see it is that the dollar is in a win-win position. So there are two key drivers in FX right now. And I think that actually applies to most asset classes. First one is the risk environment. I, there's a lot of uncertainty about the macro outlook, about infl- the inflation conundrum, inf- about you know whether, whether we've reached a peak in the post-pandemic recovery already, whether stagflation is a problem. And, and beyond that, we also have geopolitical concern. Uh, the, the, the pandemic is, we'd like to believe it's over, but there's still an element of uncertainty. So it is an uncertain world. And I think there's a risk of um, premium at the moment in the market, and that's dollar bullish. And I think this is not going to be this is not going to be solved anytime soon because we basically, especially on the macro assessment front, we just need more time to to see where we are in terms of, of inflation and stagflation risk and all those issues. The second the second element that's driving the market, I think is, okay, let's say we're optimistic and we think we have just temporary inflation, the economy is going to be doing okay, there's going to be a loss of momentum after the very strong rebound, but 
uh, we're not going to see any recession for the for the foreseeable future. So we then think about exit strategy for monetary policy and central bank exit strategies. And on that front, uh, the the Fed tapering prospect has been enough for dollar upside. And I, I said has been enough because uh, you know when you compare it, for instance, to the ECB or the BOJ. Um, you know, this, this, the Fed comes across as more hawkish. So from that perspective, it's helping the dollar outperform those currencies. But at the same time, there are other central banks uh, in the G10 space, and perhaps we can talk about that a bit later, that are already onto their exit strategy path. So then you have opportunities that it's a bit less of a just a one-way dollar upward trade. So, you know, you're obviously pretty optimistic about the dollar calling it, uh, you know, in a win-win situation. But obviously, there's always risks to any one of our views. So, so what is the thing that, that you think might uh, or, or could potentially derail your um, your outlook on the dollar? Yeah, I think uh, in one of my recent publications, I actually said that we need to be pragmatic um, and I think we need to be open-minded about this view. What I, what makes me feel a little bit jittery is the fact that the trade is looking more and more overcrowded week after week. More and more people are, are, are bullish on the dollar. And you see it in the CFTC numbers that are showing, um, you know, quite a significant exposure onto the dollar already after just three months. So, you know, in a sense, uh, in, it was a nicer, easier trade to have or to to argue, let's say, six to eight weeks ago than it is now. So that's one element. But of course, you know, the overcrowded view, um, overstretched analysis, it's probably it's certainly not enough on its own to, to change your call on the dollar. But it is a consideration. And that makes me feel as well that, you know, when sentiment change and when it will flip because it is not such a one such a thing as a one-way trade but it will flip at some point uh, then you could see quite a big move again to the downside which is why i also think that the currency market will finally potentially go back into a phase of greater volatility uh, in the quarters to come so what we need to kind of understand if you think if we want to see you know how could we be wrong on the dollar bullish view for me, it's um, at what point does the market think that, um, you know, Fed tapering means actually we now see the U.S. yield just consolidating and not moving anymore up. Uh, and this yield differential uh, in particular against the euro now is flat, not moving at all anymore. And then that takes some steam out of this dollar bullish view. And the other point I would highlight is if you also get at the same time a, you know, a stronger return in, in, in market risk appetite. And you start to hear investors being more comfortable with the inflation outlook, with the growth uncertainties. And then I think at that point, when you think about currency allocation, portfolio constructions, I think investors will be a little bit more comfortable with the idea of saying, OK, let's go back and take a little bit more risk. I just think this is not going to happen just yet. 
So let's switch gears a little bit and go more into your neck of the woods and talk a little bit about the euro. Obviously not as much against the dollar, given your, your generally dollar bullish view. Um, but but what about the euro versus some of the other majors like um, like, like the yen and sterling? So on the euro, on the euro in general, I mean some some of the of the recent indicators have been a little bit underwhelming. So that hasn't really helped uh, the euro cause. However, I'm actually quite optimistic for the Eurozone economy next year. I feel that the fiscal and monetary policy mix uh, will be very supportive for growth, i.e. the the ECB will probably be late in uh, its exit strategy orientation. And at the same time, we have quite a lot of fiscal stimulus coming through in Europe. Remember the EU recovery fund, we have more uh, funds being disbursed in the course of 2022. Um, and also, you know, we have a new government potentially in Germany um, and the prospect for a, a, a greener agenda, which means greater investment. That should all help the Eurozone uh, economic recovery. So, you know, from my, from my perspective, the main concern I have with the Eurozone growth prospects is what happens to the rest of the world, and in particular with China. As you know, China is a key trading partner for Europe, so uh, the Eurozone really needs China to keep growing and preferably keep growing strong. And if that happens, I think um, you know the currency drivers for the euro could shift next year and, and you see euro upside uh, potentially across the board. So in the meantime, uh, and I'll go back to your question, um, I, I, I think, you know, providing the risk context stays relatively favorable, uh, Euro-Yen upside um, is feasible. Uh, I feel that um, there's enough momentum for the Eurozone to outperform. A Euro-Sterling upside is, um, is a strong conviction that I've had in recent weeks. And I, I just feel that it, it kind of fits, ticks the boxes in a sense that I'm quite bearish on Sterling. And at the same time, I think that um, the, the context for, for Europe is, is pretty neutral at the moment, but it could become more supportive next year, as I said, on the back of the growth story. So how do politics play into your view on the currencies? Obviously, in a, in a place like, you know, the United States or the UK or Japan, it's, you know, quote unquote, homogenous, um, you know, government. But in Europe, you have, you know, French elections coming up. There's always, you know, wrangling in, in parliaments all around the, the country or all around the continent, I should say. And, you know, you never know when there might be a snap election. Um, so, so how does that play into your thinking and, and in the euro? You're thinking of the euro in particular. Well, for, for, so let's uh, focus on the election that we've had. So for the German election, it's quite interesting that, um, you know, they ha- they, we've had the election two weeks ago. There's still coalition talk, talks uh, between the various parties to form a government. The market is fairly comfortable with that because uh, in Germany's case and in Germany's political landscape, uh, it's, it happens that you, there's no there's no there's no clear victory after the election. So then you need to form a coalition. There's talks and talks can take a long time. Just to remind to refresh your memory, uh, Merkel was uh, won the election in September 2017, I think, and she was only sworn in in March 2018 last time around. So it can take a, it can take a while. 
So I think on Germany, the, the market uh, is comfortable with the current situation and the ongoing talk. And so it's not a particularly negative driver, not as much as what you'd expect if you look at it from the outside and if you, well, there's still nobody really running the country, what's going on. Um, so for France next year, it could be quite interesting in the sense that um, in the last French election, the euro actually un underperformed significantly in the, in the six months getting into the election. And I think there was concern about potential Frexit, uh, just looking at the opinion poll and Marine Le Pen was at the time uh, quite uh, anti-eurosceptic, uh, shall I say. Um, but very quickly, I think the market uh, realized, uh, well, the, the second one was comfortably won by Emmanuel Macron and, and the market was very comfortable. We had a very strong rally uh, after his election. And this time around, it's interesting because I think the market has learned its lesson from last time. So there's not much, it, it doesn't seem to be too much of a driver at the moment. The opinion polls are still showing uh, Emmanuel Macron comfort, well, comfortably in the lead um, into going into the second round. There's an element of uncertainty as to who will be his opponent. But if you look at the polls, you see that whoever comes uh, to face him in the second round he is expected to um, to be elected, re-elected. So the expectation, I think, the dominant view is that is one of continuity uh, from France and from a Euro project, Euro integration perspective, it's actually quite supportive for the currency. So let's go to one of your, uh, you know, uh, better calls of late and uh, not, not that you have bad calls ever, but <laughs> um, but but something you got particularly right was a change in sentiment in sterling over the past month or so. Um, you know, do, do you think, you know, there's room to be bearish sterling still further? Um, you know, obviously, they're not quite as the BOE is not quite as hawkish as the Fed, but, um, you know, interest rates in in, uh, in the UK have been going up, too. So is, are there other drivers that might lead you uh, to think that? That, that the that the pound could continue to move lower? I think the risk remains to the downside. We've seen quite a big move, and historically, you would argue that sterling is cheap. Uh, but again, I just can't see that as enough to suddenly turn bullish. I, I, can, I just feel that you know it's remarkable how in the UK we have the prospect for higher rates, uh, rates, um, like, like, like in Norway, where they actually already raised rates, or even in Canada, where rate rises could happen next year, uh, but yet it, it's not bullish for the currency. And I think it makes complete sense because this is happening at a time when the, econ the economy is decelerating quite significantly. And, and you know, raising rates in a semi, well, at a time where stagflation forces are emerging is not going to help your currency. And it, the price action, I think, after the last Bank of England meeting was really telling because we saw sterling rallying for about one day or two days. And then this kind of narrative started to be spread and then some of the numbers underwhelmed. And, and people start to wonder, well, is it really the right time to raise interest rates? I shut up, should I really be holding the currency? And I think that's part of the reason why the pound has suffered in the past few weeks. The, the other reason... I think it's related to uh, what I call as post-Brexit conundrum, uh, supply, ch supply chain issues, all being in the limelight. We've seen uh, in the UK the 
truck drivers shortages problems and and this is just not helping confidence to be honest and and right now i just i i I'm not too optimistic that the situation changes anytime soon. So I, I would stay under weight for the time being and just wait and wait for the right opportunity to come back uh, to regain exposure. Okay. And so just in the last uh, two minutes or so, um, you know, any other, you know, big calls like your, your favorite pair maybe uh, or, or two and, uh, you know, with a quick reason why you particularly like that trade. Okay. Very quickly. Uh, both in the commodity commodity currency space. So for both those currencies, the key assumption is that you know uh, energy prices stay uh, at least stable or continue to rise. Uh, but the Canadian dollar, we've had quite a good correction in the past quarter. Um, but the case for re-engaging into the Canadian dollar, I think, is strong at this point. Uh, positioning is much more favorable. Remember last time around. A quarter ago, we were overstretched. Everybody was long the CAD. Now we have uh, the domestic economy clearly outperforming. We saw it again with the latest labor market figures where the Canadian data uh, employment figure were really strong outperforming the U.S. as well, I think. Um, and, and, you know, we go back to the discussion about yields and what's driving currencies. Uh, the Bank of Canada has started tapering and could raise interest rates uh, next year at some, at some point. So fix all the boxes again, and it's also 5.5% cheaper than it was a quarter ago. So I feel more comfortable with the view now. The other currency is the Norwegian Krone. Um, again, the energy story, but the no- Norway is already raising interest rates. Uh, it will raise interest rate again in December, and it, the central bank has also signaled another Three rate hikes in the course of 2022. So the yield story is compelling. And again, I would highlight that this is happening at a time when the economy is strong. Um, so, yeah, it ticks all the boxes. And obviously, the Norwegian crown is very strong from a structural angle as well. So, Audrey, where can people find your work? So you can find all of our currency research on BI Cur. B-I-C-U-R-R. Great. Audrey Child Friedman, thank you very much. And now we turn to Angela Monolatos and our Fun Fed Fact segment. Angelo, what Fun Fed Fact do you have for us today? Okay, so I'm going to give an update on the Federal Reserve's quantitative easing program and just basically how much have they purchased uh, in treasuries in mortgage-backed securities since since starting the large-scale asset purchases in March of 2020. So for treasury securities... We see that the Fed has increased their portfolio by nearly $2.95 trillion. And for mortgage. So, so you, you, you can round up to $3 trillion. I mean, just about $3 trillion, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then for MBS, it's uh, just over $1.2 trillion, and that includes uh, TBAs. Uh, and then what I like looking at is how much of the market they own. So if you look at treasuries, uh, the entire treasury market, the Fed owned 15% before the pandemic. They now own a quarter of the market. And just breaking that down even further, the Fed only owned 10% of the Treasury Inflation Protected Securities or TIPS market before the pandemic. They now own 26%, so over a quarter. And looking at nominal coupons, the Fed owned 16% before the pandemic, and they now own around 30%. So these are truly massive in both uh, nominal terms and as a share of the market. 
Great. Anything else from uh, FunFed Facts today, Angelo? Yeah. So if so, uh, the whole discussion and narrative right now is about Taper. So just because I gave updates on how many securities the Fed has purchased, if the Fed tapers uh, starting in November at $15 billion a month, that means uh, $540 billion more securities being purchased. Uh, and then if they taper by $12 billion a month, we're looking at $660 billion more uh, securities uh, purchased by the end of taper. Great. Thank you, Angelo. On behalf of Angelo Manolados and Audrey Child Freeman, I'm Ira Jersey. If you have any ideas for topics that you'd like us to discuss, whether it's with Bloomberg Intelligence uh, strategists or uh, or outside uh, investors and traders, please let us know. You can hit us up on the Bloomberg Terminal, and you can find all of our work at BI Rate and on the Bloomberg Terminal. With that, until uh, the next time we talk to you, be well. <laughs>